0: There are two great misconceptions concerning the religion of the Old Testament. One is that it was religion only for ethnic Jewish people. I mean after all God chose the Jews and he called them his special people. So he must not care about any other nation, any other peoples of the world. The second misconception is that Judaism was a religion that was concerned primarily, if not exclusively, about externals. About what kind of clothes you wear, kind of food you eat, the rituals and different seasons that you would observe. Many people today, even many Christians, are confused about Old Testament Judaism on just these points. You can see it in the Messianic movement of our day. People think that they will become more like the Old Testament Jews by living under Old Testament codes that focus upon externals. People are confused because they don't understand what God was about in revealing himself in the Old Testament era. In one sense, it's easy to understand how people can be confused because the Jews are called God's chosen special people. He pledged himself to be their God. And he called them to be his people. And he made distinctions between them and all the other nations of the world. He gave them regulations. He was precise about what they were to eat. How they were to dress. What kind of schedules they were to keep. And the rituals they were to observe. But if you focus only on the status of the Jews as God's chosen people, and the external requirements that he placed on them, then you're going to miss the point of the Old Testament. Furthermore, if you focus on those things, then you're going to find yourself very much at home with the way typical Jews thought in the first part of the first century. We see this in the way the New Testament ushers in the reign and the rule of Jesus and the cataclysmic difficulties that it created between His way, His teaching, and the way of common first century Judaism. When John the Baptist was preaching to prepare the way for Jesus, Matthew tells us in chapter 3 that as scribes and Pharisees came to Him to be baptized, this is what He said to them, bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. In other words, John looked at him and said, so you think you're special? You think, oh, we got Abraham for our father and that makes us okay with God? God could bring sons of Abraham from rocks. And then you look at the way Jesus was always in conflict with the Jewish leaders of his day as he began his public ministry. Time after time, he exposed their hypocrisy. He called out the externality of their religion and the deadness inwardly of their religion. If you just want a sample of this, read Matthew chapter 23 where the whole chapter is taken up with his calling to account their hypocrisy. In that chapter, we see Jesus telling the scribes and Pharisees, He said, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. And in one of the woes that He pronounces on them, He says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. They thought they were okay with God because God had been so good to them. And they thought their religion was a religion primarily of complying with rituals and customs. Well, that's the way many religious people think today. I'm at the right place, the right times, doing the right things with the right people. So surely God accepts me. People today believe that because God has blessed them more than others, because they do religious things more than others, that surely God finds them acceptable. But nothing could be further from the truth. You see, the only basis on which God accepts anybody is righteousness. He is righteous. And he requires righteousness. And you and I, and everybody you know, no matter how religious or irreligious you might be, we do not have the righteousness that God requires. Left to our own resources, left to our own abilities, we will never be able to supply that which God calls us to supply. That's exactly why God sent his son, the Lord Jesus, into the world. Our only hope is that the righteousness that God supplies will be supplied for us outside of us. And this is what the gospel teaches happens. This is why Jesus came into the world. It's why he lived a life of obedience to God's commandments. He earned righteousness by his obedience. He earned the righteousness that you and I owe to God. And it's only as we turn from our sin and trust Him that that righteousness that God requires is supplied to us through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is the good news. The message of grace. That what God demands, God gives. Paul makes the truth of the gospel the burden of his letter to the church at Rome. In that letter, he sets forth the most systematic explanation of the gospel of God's grace that we have anywhere in the Bible. Today, we return to our study of the book of Romans, picking up where we left off last time, which is at the very end of chapter 2. Specifically, we're going to be looking today at Romans 2, verses 25 through 29. If you're using one of the Bibles that's provided for you, you'll find that on page nine hundred forty. And I encourage you to get a copy of the Scripture open in front of you because I just want to walk through this passage with you as we try to consider what it is that God is saying to us in His Word. And as you're looking at Romans 2, let me remind you that in the first chapter, Paul announces the theme of the whole letter after his introductory remarks. In verses 16 and 17 of Romans 1, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation... To everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And immediately after announcing that theme in Romans one sixteen 16 and 17, Paul launches into an explanation of the universality of sin. He begins to explain why we need the gospel, why everyone needs the gospel. And he focuses first upon irreligious people, upon Gentiles, those who make no pretense of knowing God, those who give themselves over to all kinds of wickedness and sinful immorality. And so for the rest of chapter 1, he shows that Gentiles are all sinners and therefore by nature under condemnation and in need of righteousness. In chapter 2, he turns his attention to Jews, his fellow Jews, religious people. And what he says here is that when it comes to being charged with sin, when it comes to lawlessness and law-breaking, Jews are no better than Gentiles. They're just as guilty. What he's saying is religious people are sinners just like irreligious people are. In our last study, we looked at verses 17 through 24 of chapter 2, and we saw there that being religious is not enough. In fact, being religious can be deadly if you put your hope and your confidence in your religious activities. Today, we come to verses 25 through 29, where Paul gives further explanation as to why being religious is insufficient to make you right with God. Paul builds this last part of his argument by zeroing in on two misconceptions that many Jews of his day had about themselves. Those misconceptions that I mentioned earlier that are still held by many today. The first is that because they were Jewish, because they were religious, they were special and therefore acceptable to God. The second misconception is because they practiced circumcision the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, they'd done everything necessary for God to look favorably upon them. And with this mentality, the question would largely remain unspoken, but live within the common Jew in the first century. Why do I need righteousness from God? I'm a Jew. I bear his name. I bear his mark. Well, let's look at our text, Romans chapter 2, verses 25 through 29, and see how Paul gets to the heart of this question, the question of what it means to be right with God by not being a Jew merely outwardly, but by, as he describes it, being a true Jew, that is, a Jew inwardly. Hear the word of the Lord as I read from Romans chapter 2, verses 25 through 29. For circumcision is in, indeed is a value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, Nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the spirit. Not by the letter. His praise is not from man. But from God. To be a true Jew. You need God's spirit to change you inwardly. That's what Paul is arguing here in this last part of chapter 2. If you're going to be a true Jew, you're going to need supernatural activity operating inside of you. Something's going to have to happen to you inwardly. The Spirit of God is going to have to come and change you. In chapter 2, as I've mentioned, Paul's trying to convince his fellow Jews that although they are religious, although they have many advantages, they too, along with the Gentiles, are under sin. They need grace. They need the gospel that he is commending in this letter. Paul makes his argument by envisioning a typical Jewish man. We see this in verse 1 when he begins his address, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man. And again, in verse 17, he personalizes it in this typical Jewish man, for all, he says, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law, Our text comprises the last part of his argument as he shows that physical circumcision is useless if the one who is circumcised breaks God's law. And that true circumcision is a matter of the heart affected by the spirit. The great Scottish Baptist theologian of the 19th century, Robert Haldane, says this section of Paul's letter is where he pursues the Jew into his last retreat In which he imagined himself most secure. To be called a Jew. And to have the mark of circumcision on your body. Were points of pride and spiritual security for Jewish people. They had the name. They had the markings of being set apart for God. In our text Paul shows this is not enough. To be a real Jew. To really belong to God. You need God's Spirit to change you inwardly. Let's see how Paul makes this case. I want to look at his argument by taking it under three different headings. The first we see in verse 25 when he says, if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. In other words, circumcision is useless to the person who does not keep God's commandments. Circumcision is useless if you do not keep God's commandments. Circumcision was indeed the sign of God's covenant with Abraham and his offspring. Pastor Jared read from Acts 17 earlier where God announces this covenant sign to Abraham. In verses 9 through 14 of Genesis 17, we have that point made very clearly. Circumcision was designed by God to mark out Jewish people as belonging to him. I remember 40 years ago or so when I first began to build my library that it wasn't long as I would loan books out every once in a while that I started losing books. So I had a rubber stamp made that says, from the library of Thomas K. Askell. Stamped it in there. It didn't help all that much. So I got another one made that said, thou shalt not steal. (laughs) That helped a little bit more. But the point is, they were my books. I marked them. I put my mark on them so that it would be known they belonged to me. Well, in that way, circumcision was to work among God's people, designating them as belonging to him. They were in covenant with him. It was a physical act, but it was a physical act that was to represent a spiritual reality. The physical act was never intended to be the sum and substance of the covenant between God and the Jewish people. The covenant of circumcision, that circumcision signified, called the Jewish people to live righteously before God. In that covenant, God said, I will be your God and you shall be my people. And as he stated to Abraham when he instructed him about using circumcision as a sign of the covenant in Genesis 171, did you hear these words? He said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. You see, the sign is only significant if it faithfully reflects the way those who are marked by it are actually living for God. But Paul says. If you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Now that would have been a shocking revelation to the typical Jew of Paul's day. Such a person would have been offended at the thought. As a Jewish circumcised man, you're telling me that I'm not in God's good favor? You're telling me that God doesn't accept me as I am? I've got the sign of the covenant. I'm circumcised. There was a long line of rabbinic tradition by the time Paul wrote Romans that said circumcision will inevitably keep a Jew out of hell. In fact, there's there's one Jewish rabbi who taught that Abraham himself would be outside the gates of hell And that he would not allow any circumcised Jew to enter in. That type of superstitious way of thinking about their religion. Is what kept so many blinded to the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's an important lesson for us today. Just as circumcision was a sign of the old covenant. So now baptism is the sign of the new covenant. And just as Jesus himself was baptized, and he tells his people to go and make disciples and baptize them, so everyone who names the name of Jesus, who's loyal to Jesus, is indeed to follow him in baptism. And if you are a Christian and you say, Jesus is my Lord, and you've not been baptized as a believer, I just simply want to remind you of what the Bible says today. The one whom you say you trust, the one whom you call Lord, Tells you that you are to be baptized. So why do you call him Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which he says? But there's a great danger that we, like the Old Testament Jews, can be trusting in the sign. Thinking, well, I've been baptized. So God must accept me. I go to church. I'm a member of a church. I've done all that. Surely I'm okay with God. It's not true. It's a wrong way to think. God still causes people to live faithfully before Him. By trusting in Him. By taking Him at His word. Receiving the provisions that He makes in His Son Jesus Christ. And if you're not wholeheartedly devoted to Christ if you have not received Christ Jesus as Lord it doesn't matter where you've been baptized how you've been baptized how many times you think you've been baptized you're not right with God because God requires of you that which only Jesus can supply for you and if that's your situation then may the Lord use this text this morning to wake you up and to make you realize that you need what you can never supply. And that the only place where that righteousness is supplied that God requires of you is in Jesus. But it is in Jesus. And He invites anyone and everyone to come to Him by faith, to trust Him, and to become in Him accepted by God. Well, circumcision or any outward religious activity or ritual is useless to a person who does not live for God. That's the first point in Paul's argument here in verse 25. If you don't keep God's commandments, it doesn't matter how religious you might think you are. Secondly, in verses 26 and 27, Paul says the uncircumcised person who keeps God's commandments is welcomed by God. Well, if verse 25 would have landed hard on a typical Jew of the first century, verses 26 and 27 would have been crushing to him. Just as physical circumcision cannot guarantee that you're part of God's covenant people, Paul says, so the lack of physical circumcision doesn't prevent anyone from being included in God's covenant people. The uncircumcised person who keeps God's commandments will be regarded as a genuine part of of the properly circumcised people of God. Look at verse 26. He says, if a Gentile keeps the precepts of the law, an uncircumcised person keeps the precepts of the law. In other words, he lives by what the law commands, what God says. What would be involved in that? It would involve trusting the Lord, submitting to His ways, following His precepts, Ordering your life according to his revealed will. It would involve taking him at his word, which would include at the outset bowing to Jesus Christ as Lord. Paul says if such a person does that, he will be regarded as one of God's people. In other words, when it comes judgment day, God will judge him as being properly circumcised. That is as being exactly what the physical act of circumcision signifies. You will see him devoted to the true God. Because the nature of such a person is submissive to God, trusting God, obeying God, God will accept him. This is exactly the point the Apostle Paul makes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3 when he's talking about his own righteousness and all that he was and all that he hoped in before Jesus met him and changed his life, Paul says, for we are the circumcision who worship God by the Spirit and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Who are the true circumcised? Those who are trusting Jesus. Those who are believers, Christian today. You are the true circumcision. Because you have turned away from self-dependence. And you've turned to God in dependence upon Jesus Christ. It's not your religious background. It's not your religious advantages that will make you right with God. It's knowing God. And the only way you can know God. Is through faith in Jesus Christ his son. Receiving the provision found in him. Loving him. Doing what he commands. The uncircumcised person who faithfully keeps God's commandments will be an indictment, therefore, on those who are circumcised but don't keep his commandments. This is verse 27. Look at this. Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. When the religiously disadvantaged people heed God's word and genuinely trust him and follow his ways, they show just how wicked those people are who have all kinds of religious advantages, all kinds of benefits, and yet refuse to trust the Lord and obey Him. Having God's commandments, the written code, and being outwardly identified as His people, circumcision, is not enough. God requires more than religious privileges and religious rituals. In order for him to accept you. He requires righteousness. I like the way that C.K. Barrett has summarized Paul's teaching here. He writes this. Paul makes clear beyond doubt what he means by keeping and by transgressing. When he speaks of the law. It's possible to neglect so weighty a command as circumcision. Sign of the covenant. And yet fulfill the law it's also possible to observe the letter of the law including circumcision and transgress the law the kind of obedience that god requires is what paul says in verse 1 or verse 5 of chapter 1 is the obedience of faith it's obedience that arises out of a devotion to god trusting god taking him at his word and trusting yourself To his son. It is the conformity of your life to his will. That comes because you are resting in his provision. It's not just externals. It's not trying to do the right things at the right time with the right people. It is the orientation of your life. That results from a heart that is submissive to Christ Jesus as Lord. Now this is sobering news. It's a serious warning for anybody who might be resting on the fact that he or she has a religious identity. And if you have such an identity, whether it's through baptism or whether it's through church membership or whether it's through just regularly attending services like this, you need to heed this warning. Paul says it it doesn't make you right with God. You need something more than what you can simply do yourself. Our text says, though such things are privileges, they're not enough. You must come to trust and obey the Lord Jesus from your heart. If you're not trusting Christ today, friend, God brought you here today to hear his word. What an incredible kindness it is that God would do this for you. And he is giving you the opportunity to examine your life in the light of what he says so that you will not go on living deceived. So that you might turn from your sin, turn from the way you've been living. Put away those things you've been counting on, hoping in, trusting in. And look to Christ. And trust Christ. The one that God sent into the world to save sinners. If you will admit your mistake of trusting in something other than the Lord Jesus thinking that you could be right with God by your outward activities, God will forgive you. He will save you. And I or others in this church would be delighted to have conversations with you about this to help you more fully understand it. While what Paul says here is sobering news for those who are merely outward religious, what he says is great news for people without any religious pretense. People without any religious background to hope in. What Paul says, there's hope for anyone and everyone. God welcomes anyone to come to him. This is exactly what Jesus meant when he told the chief priests and the tax collectors in Matthew 21. that He told the chief priests and elders about tax collectors in Matthew 21. That tax collectors and prostitutes would enter the kingdom of God before they would. So no one should leave here today thinking you're not religious enough for God. Nobody here should think you're too sinful for God. Rather, you should take God at his word and what he's saying here and recognize that what you need, you can't supply, but God and his kindness and grace does supply and turn away from everything you've been trusting in and entrust yourself to God who gave his son for sinners. Well, circumcision is useless to a person who does not keep God's commandments. Secondly, the uncircumcised person who does keep them is welcomed by God. Thirdly, in verses 28 and 29, the person God accepts obeys God from the heart because he's been born of God's Spirit. So to underscore his point even more, Paul explains what it means to be truly, properly circumcised. He explains what it means to be a true Jew. And note the way that Paul contrasts what it means to be a true Jew with merely being a Jew in name. What it means to be truly circumcised versus merely having physical circumcision. Verse 28, he says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. Then he starts in verse 29, But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. Do you see Paul making their three antitheses or three contrasts he's saying it's not this but it's that and he does it three different times on from three different angles let's look at them in verses verse 28 and 29 the very first part of each of those verses he contrasts outward Jewish, Jewishness with inward Jewishness do you see it in verse 28 he starts with this no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly to be a Jew under the Old Covenant was to be accepted and included into the communion of people who were known as God's people. But, the person who was merely called a Jew was not necessarily a genuinely genuine part of God's saving relationship with His people. So you could be a Jew and not really know God. This... Reality helps us to understand much of the Old Testament. You know, so often when we read the Old Testament, you you see God's people, the Jews, running away from Him. Disregarding Him. Doing the opposite of what He calls them to do. I mean, when they were delivered out of bondage from Egypt, they immediately refused to go in and take the promised land. We see them doubting Him time after time. Twelve spies go to the promised land. And it's only Joshua and Caleb who say, yes, God's given us this. We'll take him in his word. Everybody else said, no. No, we're not going to trust this God who just destroyed Pharaoh and his armies on our behalf. If You open the Old Testament almost anywhere, you'll find plenty examples of Jewish people living in open, ongoing rebellion against God. This is why Paul writes what he does later in Romans chapter 9 when he says, not all Israel... Or Israel. There was a remnant in that old covenant people of true Jews. But most of them were what Paul's describing here. Only Jews outwardly. He contrasts outward Jewishness in verse 29 with being a Jew inwardly. He says, but a Jew is one inwardly. In other words, he has something more. Than a mere name. There's something different inside of him. Inwardly. There's something true about this person. At the core of his being. That makes him a true Jew. That's the first contrast. Outward Jewishness. Inward Jewishness. The second contrast is physical circumcision. Versus heart circumcision. Again we see it in verse 28. 29 verse 28 he says. Nor is circumcision outward and physical. Now, obviously, the sign of circumcision was an outward and physical act. What Paul is saying here is that God intended it to be much more than that. It was to signify an inward change, an inward reality, an inward circumcision. This is the contrast in verse 29. It's not outward and physical. Verse 29 says circumcision is a matter of the heart of the heart. Have you ever thought about this? You've read the Bible much or you've been around Christian circles much. You've heard about circumcision. It was a part of the Old Testament, a significant part. Have you ever stopped to consider that God was always concerned with circumcision of the heart? Even in the Old Testament, He made this clear. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, He says in verse 16, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart. And be no longer stubborn. He was aiming at the heart. Even before they went into the land of promise. God promised that he would do this work inside of them. So that his people might be faithful to him. In Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 6 he writes. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart. And the heart of your offspring. So that you will love the Lord your God. With all your heart. With all your soul. That you may live. When his people rebelled against him during the time of the prophet Jeremiah, God spoke through that prophet using this very language to call them back. Jeremiah 4.4, he says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds." This is precisely what most of the Jews of Paul's day missed. It's what he himself missed as a Pharisee until Jesus Christ revealed himself to him on the road to Damascus. Scripture makes it clear. Paul sees it now. So he's writing to explain it that God never has been merely concerned with our external lives. God has always always been concerned with how we are in our hearts and he's determined to have a people who will trust him and love him and obey him from the inside out people who are renovated from within so that they are devoted to him in their hearts he will not allow mere outward conformity and external standards to satisfy what he requires. He wants that obedience that arises from faith, love, devotion, and submission to him. Brothers and sisters, this is crucial for us to recognize and remember. God looks at our hearts. He wants devotion from within. He wants you to love him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Reluctant obedience toward God. Mere outward compliance to His ways falls short of what He requires. In Proverbs chapter 23, verse 26, He says, My son, give me your heart. Your heart. Don't ever be satisfied with anything less than a wholehearted devotion to God. Parents, this is very important for you. Teach your children. Yes, teach your children to obey the voice of their parents. Teach them to listen for your voice and to comply, to do whatever you instruct them to do. That is right and good. Teach them to obey God's commandments because God requires us to obey His commandments. But don't ever be satisfied at mere outward conformity that your children supply in response to commands. Always hold before them. That God wants their hearts. Not simple compliance, but a joyful, delightful obedience to what is rightly commanded of them to do. See, as we do this, you know what happens. We show them that no matter how much external compliance they give, until their hearts are motivated to delight in being obedient, They still need something that they can't supply. And what it does is it provides an opportunity for us to teach them the gospel. You need a new heart. You need what only God can do. And that's precisely why God sent His Son, the Lord Jesus. This is the point of Paul's third contrast. It's found in verse 29. He contrasts the work of the Spirit Against the work of the letter, the circumcision that is needed is a circumcision of your heart, which is affected by the spirit, Paul says, not by the letter. The circumcision that is by the letter is not enough. In other words, complying with what has been revealed to us performing outwardly in a very precise and prescribed way, it's not enough. What's needed? is circumcision of the inner person. And that can only be performed by the Holy Spirit. What is Paul talking about here? Well, he's talking about the promise that God made through the prophet Ezekiel. Part of that promise is recorded on the front page of your bulletin. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, where God says, I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What God requires, he gives. R.C. Sproul has explained it like this. In the physical uh, physical act of circumcision, something was cut away and removed. Inward circumcision by the Spirit is accomplished when our hardness of heart is removed and a new birth or regeneration causes our heart to come alive to the things of God. This is why Jesus said to Nicodemus, that teacher of Israel, you must be born again. You will never love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength until you're born again. You'll never take God at His word as you ought. You'll never trust Jesus Christ as Lord unless you are born again in order to be incorporated into the true people of god you must have your heart circumcised you must be changed you must have that heart of stone taken out and a heart of flesh replace it by the operation of god's spirit you won't walk in god's ways with joy and confidence and delight. You won't trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and depend upon His righteousness, His sacrificial death on your behalf to make you right with God unless the Spirit of God comes and works within. Parents, this is our great hope for our children. And this is their great need. That God will come through the ministry of His Word and change their hearts. Are you trusting in Christ today? Can you say that you're joyfully delighting in his way that his way is your first choice and that you are fighting hard to put aside everything else that would tempt you to find your great satisfaction and joy in it in order that you might come more and more to experience your joy and satisfaction in Jesus or is religion just something that you do it's just something that's part of the way you think you ought to live friend if you have never come to taste and see that God is good, if you have never come to see Jesus not simply as the great sovereign king that He is, but as the wonderful, beautiful, good, kind, loving Savior. you oh, know, what you need is for the Spirit of God to come and to work inside of you to change you, to give you new dispositions, to inflame affections, to experience Christ as He really is. He does that by His word. He does that in gatherings like this. He, he does it as we pray and cry out to God to do it. You may have settled into a way of living that keeps religion as a part of your life. has kept Christ from being the center of your life? Could it be? Could it be that you have fallen into this same trap that Paul lived in, that first century Jews lived in, that Jesus Christ came to explode and dispel with, and just thinking that being religious is enough? Friend, it's not enough. It's not enough. You need Christ. You need to know God as He has revealed Himself in His Son. I plead with you today to turn away from your sin and bow before your God and look to Jesus Christ. He will save you. Brothers and sisters, as we trust the Lord Jesus, we need to be assured that God counts us as true Jews. We are true Jews. We are the circumcision. Not because we're so good. Not because we figured things out. But by the Spirit. God in His sovereign kindness and grace has given us His Word, taken that Word, and used it as a sword in the hand of His Spirit to pierce us and to slay all of those idols, all of those things that we were counting on so that we might see ourselves helpless and in need of His provisions in Jesus Christ. So praise Him and live as His people and be delighted in His ways. Know that they're not only right, but they are also good. And go about telling others of this great grace of our God that He has made known in the gospel of His Son. It is then that we'll be able to take comfort in the words of the Apostle Paul that he writes later in this chapter, in this this letter in chapter 8. When he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank You for giving us Your Word. We thank You for the provisions we have in Jesus Christ, for Your Spirit who has made Christ known to us. We thank You for His work, Inside of us to make us the true circumcision. To make us Jews inwardly. I pray for those who walked through the doors this morning. Strangers to your grace. Some of them are religious. Some of them make no pretense of religion. Oh God, would you not come and by your spirit reveal Christ. For your glory, for your honor. In a way that will Display the truth and the power of the gospel of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.